Hey guys, welcome to episode 41 of the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke. And on this episode, I had the pleasure in interviewing one of my mentors, Coach Mike Boyle. On this episode, me and Mike discussed many topics, including his up-and-coming seminar in Dublin, Ireland on March 29th. And we discussed the topics that Mike will be covering within this seminar, including Mike's thoughts on the Postal Restoration Institute and how Mike has incorporated principles from PRI into his program design. We also discussed Mike's thoughts on breeding and how Mike has incorporated the principles of breeding into his program design as well. And we discussed many other topics throughout the show. Now, there's still tickets left for the seminar on March 29th for those of you out there who still want to attend and haven't signed up yet. So there is still places left. So I hope you guys really enjoy the show. It was very informative. And as anyone who's listened to Mike or seen Mike lecture before, we all know that he can be very entertaining. But it was a great show and I hope you guys really enjoy it. Okay, Coach Michael Boyle, it's an absolute honour and a pleasure to have you on my podcast. Anyone who knows me knows that you, along with Martina McCarthy, one of the strength and conditioning coaches here in Ireland, is uh, you know my, my number one mentor. And um, everyone knows that I, I owe so much gratitude to you for what you've done for me over the years, you know, with my internship and all your support. And of course, just for the general information you put out there for everyone. So uh, it's really an honour to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to coming to Ireland. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, for the guys listening in, I just said to Mike there, everyone listening to this should know or does know who Mike is, so we're not going to spend too long on the introduction, but just to give a brief overview, I suppose, uh, Mike, you can tell me if I go wrong here, but you went to Springfield College, became an athletic trainer. Uh, After six months being an athletic trainer, you you didn't like it, and you were like, I want to be a strength and conditioning coach, so you started being a volunteer strength and conditioning coach at BU, Worked a double time in a bar and, and also as a strength coach. In 97 or thereabouts, you opened up Mike Boyle's Strength and Condition with three other people. Then the mid to early 2000s, spent some time in Atlas Performance, came back to Mike Boyle's Strength and Condition in the mid-2000s. And since about 2005, Mike Boyle's Strength and Condition has just exponentially grown as a business. Um, the, the main facility is now a 20,000 square foot world-class facility. Mike also worked with the Boston Bruins from 1990 to 1999, also with the US ladies hockey team, and currently is the Boston Red Sox strength and conditioning coach. And if I left anything out there, Mike, you let me know. So that's basically Mike's background. He's also an author of three books, Advances in Functional Training, Design of Strength Training Programs and Facilities, and his very first book, Functional Training and Sports. And he has many DVDs out there, but his most renowned DVDs will be his Functional Strength Coach series, and he's currently going to release his Functional Strength Coach 5. So, Mike, what I want to get into is what is new with Mike Boyle? What's going on inside that mind? I know breathing, postural restoration issue, and heart rate variability have been big things with you. What else is going on there? You know, I, I those are probably the big three. I think there's a lot going on. The one thing where, and you know, because you've spent time with us, I think is we're always trying to refine the thought process. I kind of liken it to the, the search for the Holy Grail. It probably doesn't exist, but it doesn't mean you're going to stop looking for it. So I think it's this constant process of trying to design the perfect program. What's the best way to do it? What's the best way to teach it? Because I think sometimes I've talked a lot about it's good in theory and bad in practice there. Sometimes people will come up with really good ideas, and then you take that into the facility with a group, and suddenly it's not such a good idea anymore. So for us, we're, we're always washing stuff out. We'll, we'll go in and we'll try things and say, yeah, that worked, this didn't work. Even today, we were playing around with single leg good mornings today, which I, I just happened to look at, and I was trying to do a presentation this weekend on American football, and I happened to see an old video clip that I had of us doing single leg good mornings, and I thought, 
why don't I try that again? Because that's going to help me. The big problem we always get with people is the lack of level in the pelvis. Where people always say, well, they, you know, the one side of the pelvis lifts up. And he's single-legged warning me I'm going to get more trunk extension. I'm going to get the load further out on the spine. So maybe I'll need less load. And I'm going to hopefully, you know, give them a little bit more visual in the mirror with whether they're level or not because now they'll be looking at a bar. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess it's, it's always this, um, this non-stop process of trying to improve the program. So, Speak about the, the breeding, Mike. Like, how are you starting to incorporate that? Because I know for someone who does change their mind an awful lot, you, you don't change your mind on a whim. It does take you a while to, to, to change your mind. And breeding was a big thing. I know you were very frustrated. You know, to be honest, you were kind of pissed off on the form. You were like, what the hell do you guys mean by breeding? Someone explain this to me. And then I know Mike Mullen from PRI came in. So how has that changed the program now at MBSC? I mean, I think it's just... It's- in some ways, you could look and think it's fundamentally changed everything that we do. In another way, you could look at it and think, oh, it hasn't changed very much at all except the warm-up. Mm. I think it's changed the thought process. The biggest thing for me is when someone can come along with science and say, from a science perspective, this is why this matters. And this is what Michael Mullen did. And I don't want to talk too much about stuff because I don't want to, I don't want to do my lecture on the podcast yeah. because I think there'll be part of it that's here. But I think... I'm going to bring some balloons. There's a PRI article called Value of Blowing Up a Balloon. There's just, there's a lot of stuff there that suddenly, in my mind, connects some dots. Mm. And I actually started, I wrote a, uh, a little tongue-in-cheek, I started to write a little tongue-in-cheek piece called Yoga Apology. And because uh, <laughs> people have been, you know, the yoga people have been saying this stuff forever, but there's no science. Yeah. There's, there's just belief. And I'm not a great believer when there's no science, but suddenly, and, and by science, I don't mean research and studies, I mean real hard science. When Michael Mullen started to explain, I can remember, and I talked about this in my um, Things I Learned article this year, I can remember Sue Falzone coming in, talking about her mo- you know, her favorite muscle being the diaphragm, and I remember sitting there thinking, is the diaphragm really a muscle? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you think, because you think about breathing as reflex. Yeah. And that was always my feeling. I say, nobody stops breathing, you know, unless they die. So I don't get it. And I really didn't get it. And the difference, and I think this is the difference, and hopefully what I'll be able to do in Ireland, is there's a, the ability to teach is critical. And we've talked about all this, you know, this, all, you've read all the articles, curse of knowledge, all these things. And sometimes people have really good ideas, and breathing and rolling are two of those ideas that people have not been able to get, whether it's on paper or in video, and make it grab you where you think, oh, I get it. Yeah. I understand why this is important now. And that's what what Michael was able to do when he started talking about the PRI stuff and started showing us, okay, anatomically, this is why this matters. This is what happened. Yeah. And and when you start to look at it, you kind of get that, okay, I'm starting to get this now. This is starting to make sense. And then the biggest thing was, people would always say, oh, check their breathing. I said, how do you check their breathing? If you look at them, they're breathing. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. You know what I mean? But no one really explained when you check somebody's breathing, what are you really looking for? Yeah. And what's what's normal breathing? What's abnormal breathing? And I, I think sometimes what happens, and we go back to this course of knowledge idea, is the people that are trying to sell you on an idea are so smart that they skip steps. 
Yeah, it's kind of like that. Uh, remember Brad Kazmarski was talking about don't learn from someone who's so many IQ marks removed from you. Exactly, and that's what I wrote about in, in that whole Curse of Knowledge idea. Yeah, is exactly, exactly yeah. that. In, in, so when you get someone who's really smart, and that's, we get sometimes we get that on the forum with Patrick Ward or with Brett Jones or with some of these guys, and they're really smart, but by being smart, sometimes they're not convincing. Yeah. Because they don't look at that low common denominator. And I look at, I always say to myself, if I'm, and this has been something I've lived and died by, if I'm not getting it, then I am safely assuming that a lot of other people aren't getting it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I consider myself to be of above average intelligence, yeah. yet I don't grasp sometimes, you know, okay, what's the big fascination here? What are these guys so excited about? Yeah. I, I definitely felt like that with a lot of Grey Cook stuff like I felt I had to like watch it again and again and hear from different sources but kind of once I got it then I fully understood and I kind of understand like Grey kind of speaks in a very it's kind of with the same with Dan John too they kind of just the way they come across you kind of have to listen to it again and again and again before it sinks in just the way they yeah, they, I, uh, yeah. so yeah, uh, I've always uh, you know sometimes with Grey I know the first couple times with Grey even when Grey started talking about kettlebells I Yeah. And then other times you end up somewhere 
where you think, okay, this is giving me, I got another piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And I look at that for us and think, we've done a better job of putting the puzzle together than anybody that I know, yet we're not perfect yeah. in every area. And we've got to keep working towards perfect. And the way you work towards perfect is to continue to have that, that beginner's mind, the open mind, and think, okay, I've got, I got to listen to this stuff. Maybe I'm not going to change. That's what's funny. You've watched all the Functional Strength Coach ones. I put the big rock thing back in from Functional Strength Coach 1. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So think, that's brilliant. That's yeah, sorry. because, the, you know, there's some stuff. Like, I went through all the slides to all of them. Said, I, you know, I don't want it to be four over again, but I do need to look at, say, at one and say, what was there fundamentally about one? So I would, I would say the first hour that we're going to spend in Ireland is really personal development. And the idea of, okay, what do I believe? Can I get my mind open? Can I think about changing my mind? Can I get open enough to spend the next six or seven hours listening to some stuff that I might not either understand or agree with? Yeah, like and I, I think that hopefully what I'm going to be able to do is set guys up to learn. Absolutely, I like I think I think so much of it, Mike, is there's just the, the there's so much misinterpretation, and then the misinterpretation turns into a um, like a a sort of what's the word I'm trying to think of a um, oh misinterpretation, and, and then people kind of get the wrong impression of what someone is trying to portray, and then they automatically go, oh, I disagree with that. But it's like you you wouldn't disagree if you actually understood what they were trying to portray. Like I right. I, I think that it's happens. Like, I know exactly, yeah. And I think the other thing is that you start to make assumptions about the person. People, I can't tell you the number of people that have come to our facility and seen how strong our athletes are. Yeah. And they're shocked. Yeah. They'll, they'll be like, wow, I can't believe how strong your athletes are. And I think, don't you watch any of these videos? You know, you, all you did is you focused in on what you didn't like. And that became the focal point of your entire thought process. You focused in on what we disagree on. Yeah. And I look at it and think, I always talk to everybody, focus on the common denominators. What even, I say this all the time with CrossFit. There's a lot of things. If you just looked at CrossFit on the surface, multi-joint exercise, interval training, camaraderie, hey, there's a lot of commonality there. Yeah. It's not until you get into the execution of it that you think, oh, I don't agree with that. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, that, what, what, I was, what, what I was trying to say was, that, what I always say is people base their criticisms or arguments on false assumptions I get this all the time particularly when it came like to the FMS and I'm sick to death about defending and I know too that the FMS is not the be all and end all but what bugs me and this is not just limited to the FMS it's limited to everything particularly even with yourself which I'll talk about in a second is I cannot stand people basing a criticism on a completely false assumption meaning they don't know the topic you know, at depth, and then they just give this sort of superficial opinion. I'm like, but you, you like, I'm like, have you ever spoke to Mike Boyle? Like, I, I like, uh, one of my questions to you, Mike, is a, a strength coach. I don't want to name him, but uh, afterwards I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> but he, yeah, and I respect this strength coach, and I met him, and we were talking, and I said to him, oh, I interned with Mike Boyle, and these were his words. Oh God, that must have been painful. And because he, because he, he's like, oh, he's an idiot. It's this single leg obsessity and all this. And I was just like, have you ever like met Mike? Have you been to his facility? And he's like, oh, I don't need to. Like he's like, all the guys in the field think he's an idiot. And I'm just kind of like, that's. A, like, I didn't, I didn't want to get into it. I was like, that's a bit harsh. And uh, it, it just, and I had this when I had Stuart McGill on the podcast. It was the same thing because 
I talked about to Stuart about you know Stuart you know people think that you brace everyone like embraces like and he was just like this is ridiculous like he says why like uh, like uh, I don't brace everyone that comes to me like he says you know you and he starts saying you get painted with this brush and again people making false assumptions uh, or making criticisms based off false assumptions and then I told him about like same with you Mike that people are always like oh no one gets strong at boils all his athletes are weak and I'm like but you've never been there or spoke to the man or so like why do you think that is so persistent in our field do you think it's uh like i i what i see a lot of time mike is that again i spoke to you to this before when we, we we made a phone call a few months back that what i've learned over the years is that everybody is a victim of their culture so if you get these coaches who are born up in families where like they're just always having to defend or be right they kind of portray that then in their coaching to oh no he's wrong i'm right like why do you think it's so prevalent in strength and conditioning I think it's prevailing in strength and conditioning because when you think about the guy, a lot of times, and I'm probably atypical, but a lot of the typical guys that go into strength and conditioning, I think have some basic insecurity. That's what drew them to strength training. That's what made them want, want to be the biggest guy and the strongest guy and lift as much weight as they could. Yeah. Because most of us, I had a friend years ago who used to say, yeah, you know, guns, karate, and weightlifting. Because you'll find all the assholes in one of those places. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it made me laugh. I said, oh, you're probably right. He said, I'm definitely right. But if you think it's in, you know, sometimes it's your basic insecurity that pushes you into any of these areas. It might be martial arts, learning to fight because you want to defend yourself. It might be weightlifting because you want to be bigger. You want to be bigger and stronger and, and be able to show your dominance that way. So you get, I think, a very high testosterone personality that goes into these fields. You're not talking about artists. You're not talking really a lot of times about scientists. But you, And it's funny, the guys that I tend to get along best with and agree best with are guys from similar backgrounds. Dr. Sagan's dad was a high school principal, same as my dad. Yeah. And we get along and we agree. And it's funny, like I look at us and think, we agree on 90% of training. We're two of the most influential people in the field. Yet, a lot of these other guys that are not influencing anybody think we're idiots. And I kind of look at that and think, and there's probably an element of professional jealousy in there too because we are succeeding. We're making money. I have people all the time, all you, all you care about, I got, I got, you'll be shocked. I got two pieces of what I would classify as hate mail. As soon as the women lost the Olympic final, within an hour, I had two emails saying, yeah, you idiot, single leg, fool, blah, 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 oh blah. Oh, my God, like, you know, like what? Like what? Like there what? were guys who were sitting, they were waiting to write that email. Yeah. And if, if, the, you know, if one of those goals, if, if our empty net attempt goes in and we win the gold medal, these guys would think, oh, I can't hit send this year. I bet you, I bet, I, 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 bet you, I bet you those guys didn't send those emails after you won the World Series with the Red Sox. No, they didn't. I got, I got no congratulations from them. But, and that's what I mean. But you just, and the good thing for me is I've learned but hey, yeah, I just let that stuff roll off because I do know that the people that have spent time with me yeah. and know me understand me, and the people that don't never will. And so I, you know, I can't get too, I can't get too worked up about that. I can't let. I always say, I go home, my wife likes me, my kids can be, my dogs like me. I'm, I'm good. And the fact of the matter is, I could be like some of these guys. I could brag and say, hey, I'm doing great. I'm making a ton of money. I got a real successful business. I got a series of really good jobs. I don't have to worry about these guys. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I don't, I don't look at it that way. I just look at it and think, I hope someday they come and visit. I hope someday they come and watch and have some of the epiphanies that I've had. Mm. 
I think because it's, as I said, I didn't. I'm sorry, and I don't care. But but I didn't start out this way. I started out. That's why I wrote those evolution of a strap coach. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I started out exactly like those guys. Yeah, I know. I like like hundred percent. Like one one question I want to ask is. I got this from James Smith, the thinker, and uh, you know he he was making the argument about single leg training. So his argument is that if you're doing lots of single leg training in the weight room, heavy, and then you're also doing lots of single leg kind of sprinting and jumping and hopping, he feels that that's going to overtax the nervous system. Where he feels if you if you do more bilateral lifting, that it's not as overtaxing. He, he you know that, that's what he says. He feels that if you're constantly doing single leg, single leg, single leg, single leg, single leg, single leg, like you know you're running, you're jumping, you're hopping, and then all your lifting's almost single leg. He feels that like you're gonna overtax like the body, the joints, and all that. So he feels that's where you want to do more bilateral stuff in the weight room with some unilateral stuff, and then like you're kind of getting more of your unilateral stuff hopping and sprinting. What what would you think of that, Mike? Well, you know, I'd say I probably agree with him 100. percent Okay. But it, it would make me realize he doesn't know our program. Yeah. Because if you watch our program, we jump and we hop. Yeah. We go medially and laterally. Mm. We Olympic lift on two legs. We do a trap bar deadlift. Yeah. We really only do one heavy unilateral exercise, probably per one to two per training day. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that's part of the other misconception Big is time. that people look at us and think, oh, we're all they're doing is single leg stuff. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, sprinting, we're definitely doing single leg stuff because it's really hard to do it otherwise. Sled <laughs> yeah. coaching, single leg stuff because it's really hard to do it otherwise. But in our plyo programs, we've got jump days, hop days, bound days. You know, our power development, almost all of our power development, weighted power development, not including our med ball work and not including our plyo work, is bilateral. You know, we've played with some unilateral Olympic lifting, but more as a, as a switch. Mm. And and even from a strength standpoint, when you really look at the programming, there's basically usually one heavy knee dominant, one heavy hip dominant exercise per session where we're doing heavy unilateral emphasis. So I would think the other thing is that you can flip that completely around when you look at the bilateral deficit research and say, we're probably really under-training the nervous system when yeah. we do too much bilateral work because the body doesn't want to be that way. Mm. We did, and I've got the, the results. I did unilateral vertical jumps on all my hockey girls. The bilateral deficit in power is probably, to me, more amazing than it is in strength. And we're going to talk a lot about bilateral deficits. And it's not a lot, but we'll probably spend 15, 20 minutes so, like, on these bilateral deficit examples because, yeah. to me, it's the same thing. These guys, they haven't examined the science. They haven't done what I've done. One of the things we always say to everybody with the unilateral stuff is, have you tried it? And invariably, guys will say no. You know, he starts saying, have you done good a good three months of some type of split squat, a good three months of some type of single leg deadlift? We had pitchers mm. doing single leg deadlifts for 225 for five, like breaking sticks. Yeah. You know, minor league pitchers. You know, we're not talking about football players. We're not talking about, we're talking about baseball pitchers. 225 for five, easy and guys throwing 95, 97 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. So you look at that and think, you have to keep going and say, well, you know, where's all, all, all of these other people's evidence is always based around the fact that I disagree with them. Yeah. And, and usually nothing beyond that. Yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, and I 100% agree. Like, I mean, and the only reason I'm asking this is to get your, you know, obviously your reply to it. Another one I heard, you know, heard from Chad Wesley Smith. Now, he wasn't directing this to you. I was just watching a video, and, and his thought process was that, okay, yeah, you, you, with, with, if you're lifting like a split squat, you will lift maybe 60, 70%. But he's like, with a squat, you're the whole load, even though, like, your argument is that, okay, you can still lift about 60, 70% in that unilateral, and it's not, it's not as the spine is in a better position usually uh he's still saying that the nervous system still the whole nervous system as a whole organism is still getting it still has to react to that kind of heavier load of the squat and he believes as you know as a lactic power output that that's more beneficial kind of just to build the general engine of the athlete so that's why he would say he still likes to do heavy heavy squatting so that's that was good yeah and i like to me i think what happens with these guys is that when they realize they're wrong, they keep searching for another reason why they're wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's unbelievable, guys. I've listened to guys talk about, well, it's going to ruin your SI joint, it's going to do this, it's going to do that, it's going to ruin your nervous system. We're, do, we're looking at data. I mean, I can show you data. About, I just said, I got a, a, a happy guy, maybe I'm included in the presentation. They did a tendo squat at his, it's an NHL player. A tendo unit squat test where they looked at power output with, I don't know what they put, 135 or something on the bar. And he sent me this email. He said, I just want you to know my tendo unit numbers are up from two years ago. And I have, like, he's trained me last year. He said, I haven't done a bilateral squat in two years. He said, I haven't practiced the test or done a bilateral squat. Yeah, yeah. Yet, so, yeah, that number went up. Yeah. When I look at my hockey girls in vertical jumps, our vertical jumps are sick. We had girls, I mean, we had women. We had one girl that was 29. She was 29, double leg vertical jump, and we have a bunch of mid 20s, 25, 26, 27. So we're certainly not seeing it. We were doing nervous system testing yeah. in terms of looking at looking at their vertical jumps through the whole residency program mm. and seeing. And this is even with two hour practices every day. Yeah, we were not seeing any decrease in there. If, if we were going, if we felt we could measure neural efficiency via vertical jump then we weren't seeing any decrease in neural efficiency. you got to remember, you, I might have you keep raising your hand at the talk so we make sure we get all this stuff in. Oh, yeah. Is, uh, another... all, all this stuff is in my talk, but if you think, like if you say, when you're there, don't be afraid to take and you expand on that a little bit because I don't know necessarily that I will yeah. Big think time. as much. Because I know the one thing, too, is that the guys who don't agree with me either don't come to the seminars well, if they do come, they don't ask questions. Yeah, yeah. So the, the guy who ever questioned me, and it was actually really funny, Mike Stone, Mike Stone was livid listening. Oh, I heard, at, yeah. at, the, at the meeting of the minds. I didn't even livid. He was scribbling notes so fast, he couldn't wait till I said that it was time for questions. Oh, my God. I'd say that way. Because again, uh, I look at him and think, bilateral dinosaur. I love the guy. He's, you know, he's, he's made huge contributions for the field. Yeah. But he's an Olympic lifter. And I always say, the Olympic lifters and the power lifters are the people that are most offended by what I say. Yeah, true. True. Because it, minim it minimizes their contribution. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think the way I always see it, too, is that I, I wrote this in a, you know, I've been writing this kind of book of mine for the last two or three years on and off, because the reason why I haven't put out a book yet is because... Uh, I just fucking, like, I always learn, I'm always learning, and I'm like, oh, that stuff's kind of outdated, but one section of the book I talk about is when I originally got into the field, I was very biomechanically influenced, it was all about, you know, uh, 
know, like as in like uh, unilateral work, hip dominant, knee dominant push. It was all about Cressy in the shoulder. It was all about yeah, Shirley Sarman, Gray Cook. It was all about movement, more biomechanics. And then as as Joel Jameson came along, it started to get more about the biochemistry, and it was all about alactic, alactic, anaerobic, aerobic. And I find that a lot of the guys that have these huge arguments are the guys who are like they're very sort of more on the biochemical end like they're always like oh you know the the heavy bilateral squat it'll, it'll you know increase that alactic power output you know and, and the unilateral you know i always find that there's this kind of these lads are more kind of on the sort of philosophy end of coaching they're always kind of doing this sort of like oh it doesn't scientifically make perfect sense i always find and then there's like this again this kind of miss miss um, like this misunderstanding of kind of information and again the arguments start again but one thing I want to ask Mike is that uh, another another kind of crit- criticism or, or kind of point someone makes against the unilateral is you say that okay if I do a rear foot elevated split squat I'm doing I'm doing more load for the legs and less load on the spine but a coach said that that's not technically true because if you were doing 3 sets of 10 on a bilateral squat that's 30 reps where if you do three reps on a rear foot elevated split squat of 10, that's 60 reps. And he's like, you've actually done more load then on the spine over the course of the whole set. So what, what would you reply to that then? Well, I don't, it's, I don't think it's the cumulative load that causes the spine to fail. So that would be my argument there. Okay, yeah. In terms of, it, it's, it's that that high stress, high strain is where the spine fails. Yeah, yeah. That's why you don't see, you don't see the spine fail even in a five RM load, usually. Yeah. Usually when you see those. So I would think that, yes, but again, he's probably making my case better for me as opposed to worse. Yeah. Because then, you know, the people who are arguing, oh, you know, you, you just got to get your back stronger. If your back fails, get your back stronger. I mean, it's amazing how people, it's it's literally like, okay, you know, I poked a hole in the balloon and it sealed itself up. Okay, I need to figure out a way to poke another hole. Yeah, Instead yeah. of agreeing, and... I will tell you, and I will, I will characterize a bit here, but the people that disagree with me, I would say, are almost exclusively, if you looked at them, they would all have a certain physical appearance. <laughs> right? Go on. Meatheads. Big, strong muscle guys. Probably guys that don't Olympic lift, probably guys that don't sprint, probably guys that don't jump. The, uh, to me, it's the old school strength coach. Yeah, the guy. Yeah, he's yeah, probably yeah. a West Side guy. He's probably a guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that's dabbled a little bit in chemistry during his lifting career. Yeah. And in general, those those tend to be my biggest detractors. Yeah. The more modern, I hate to use the term, but performance enhancement specialist, a guy who's got a broader range of education and probably understands speed and power better probably looks at, at my information and finds it much more palatable. Yeah. And that's why I go back to the the ego part and the the he doesn't agree with me part. Yeah. The yeah. other thing is they tend to be young and healthy. If you notice there's been a big shift in some of and I won't mention names because I don't want to sort of single people out, but a lot of the go heavy or go home guys are suddenly now talking about mobility and foam rolling and loading the spine because they were talking a lot of crap when they were in their late 20s, early 30s. And then as their body started to break down, they started to look at somebody like me and think, oh, maybe he's on something. Because I don't feel very good right now. Yeah, and, yeah. And suddenly they realize that, oh, maybe this makes sense. Mm. 
So that's why, you know, I always talk about the one thing for me, too, is that if you look at my um, my clients, my population groups, professional athletes and people's kids yeah, make up a huge part of my business. Yeah, that, that, that's one point I tried to make to him. Like, guys, like, 500 people go through Buzz Silly in the summertime, and, like, you can't be, like... And it's not... I know, like, deep down, you know, you're not, like... Uh, you don't, like... People think, like, you resent squatting, like... But I know you'd be, like, okay, good squatting is good, but, like, you have to understand that Mike's got 500 athletes. He can't be, like, okay, you 150 can squat because your squat's okay. You 250 have to split squat, and then you guys over there have to do something else and he's like logistically it's a nightmare and then you're going to have kids going well wh- why are they squatting why are we this so like you know it's it, they have to understand that as well the logistics of the program right no exactly and that's what they don't understand the logistics and the system and the amount of thought that's I look at this and think this is 30 years of thought if they'd gone to my weight room in the 80s they would have seen back squats and bench press and you know, the regular, you know, the only thing we did, we always cleaned from the hang position, but yeah. um, you would have seen a much more conventional program in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. That slowly, all of a sudden, I get introduced to, I start listening to Burn Get Better and Don Chu and some of these guys, and that's why I always look at people and think, if you took my journey with me, and you started to be around the intelligent people that I was around at the time that I was around them, I can remember listening to Burn talk about unilateral training. And just thinking, he's got a point. Mm-hmm. A lot of this running and jumping stuff that we're doing certainly is happening on one leg. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and now for me, that was in the 80s. We still got guys who are fighting that now. But in the 80s, I looked at that. I didn't stop back squatting. Yeah. I can remember having conversations with Jeff Oliver and him saying, you know, when we had switched from back squat to front squat, our, our initial process was we were having just too much nagging back pain. You know, and I always said, back pain that was probably in the 10 to 20% range, but 10 to 20% range when you got 300 athletes as a college strength coach, that can be 30 to 60 people yeah. who are not, not squatting because of back problems. We had belt squat machines and we had all kinds of stuff going on trying to get workarounds for these guys. Mm-hmm. And then we went to front squat and I would say our 10 to 20 went to 5 to 10. Yeah. And we were really happy because suddenly that 30 to 60 number became somewhere, you know, it, it's 15 to 30 now of your, of your 300 that aren't squatting. We thought that was pretty good. And I remember Jeff saying, do you think you'd ever stop squatting? Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, if I could figure out a way to test lower body strength without squatting, without front squatting, I probably would. And so whatever, four or five years ago, we started to mess around with these split squat tests. And we then started to see, yes, we could test. And even though they were rep tests and people would disagree with that stuff, we could clearly look at this and say, all right, we're, we're evaluating. We're getting some evaluation. We're able to look at some things and say, this this is good, this is bad. You know, you're improving, you're not improving, which is all we really wanted anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we were getting numbers. Yeah. Uh, the, so the, 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 so the, I was happy. The, the testing too, Mike, you just said that repetition. I know that's another argument people make. People are like, well, you know, how can you test it? A repetition test isn't a true indication of absolute strength capabilities. Maybe of absolute strength capabilities, yeah, it's, it's not. Repetition testing is not. But, like, is there, ha- have you come up with any better ways to test this? Is it still just a rep test? Or, like, ha- have you ever. It's, tr- it's ha- still just a rep test, yeah. yeah. And, but the difference is, this is where, you know, and one of the things we'll talk about, we've gone back to the idea of progressive resistance. Yeah, yeah. 
And if you're handling more weight than you handled last time, you're stronger. Yeah. I don't really care as much about 1RMs, maybe, as I used to. When, again, when I was a younger, more conventional strength coach, when I had a football coach breathing down my neck asking me how many guys benched 400 pounds, I had to worry about that stuff. But now I, I look at it, and when I get girls who can walk over and grab 36-kilo kettlebells in their hand and then go to that rear-foot foot squat stand and bang out 10 reps on each leg, it's like, okay, you're pretty strong. Yeah. I don't really need to worry about that very much. Yeah, it's, it's, it's trying to redefine the, try, trying to redefine what's, what's strong, like exactly, what is strong enough. Exactly, we started yeah. looking at even, and I'll show you, I've got the video of our girls. We did a one-leg squat test with our girls where we just had them do 40 pounds and we set the max reps at 10. Every single girl on our team did 40 pounds for 10. Yeah, yeah. And I realized that if I had another day, I could do 60. But you're talking about 60 pounds of external load, and I'm going to bet you that more than half of my girls would have been able to do 10 reps on each leg with 60 pounds of external load. Two vests, 10 pounds dumbbells in each hand. Yeah. And you look at that, and like you said, you're redefining and this is where like, I look at it think we're changing the way people think and therefore we're changing the way people train and there are going to be some people who are going to resist that as much as it's humanly possible mm. they are going to dig their heels in as hard as they can because they don't want change that's why I said so, so much of this initial part maybe like I said maybe the first hour of this hour talk will be mindset stuff yeah Mike, I, I want to ask you a question, and if, if if you don't want to answer it or get into it, that's fine, but knowing you, like, you never back down from a question. I had Brett Contreras on here a while ago, and, and he spoke about you at length, you know, just regards to how he felt he was treated on the strength coach form. And uh, now, personally, as someone who was in the middle between both of the, you guys, you know, I when, when I was talking to Brett, I was defending you, and then when I was talking to you on the phone, I was defending Brett, and I, <laughs> I was kind of feeling like Brett was probably like, Jesus, he, he loves Mike, and then you were probably going, Jesus, Robbie likes Brett. So, but I, I kind of felt both of you guys were a bit harsh on each other. Uh, I'll just say, basically, one thing Brett said was that I feel Mike is harsh on me. He's like, Mike has never read or done actual any science or any science literature. Mike thinks I'm an internet coach. And then your kind of thing is that I like Brett, he's intelligent, but he puts too much stuff out on the internet. He, he doesn't train anyone anymore. I mean, like, what are your feelings towards towards Brett now? Or, you know, if, if you, like, again, if you don't want to answer, you, you don't have to, but just. No, that's okay. I don't, I guess one of the things, I don't dislike him personally. Yeah. And I think the one thing people forget. Is disagreeing is dislike. Help, yeah. Not even that, but how you helped him in the beginning. Yeah. And Eric Cressy wrote the same story. He chased me around at the Palmetto Summit in Long Beach trying to give me his glute ebook when no one had ever heard of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was nice enough. I sat down. I spoke with them. I read a lot of the shorter version. I emailed back with him. I gave him feedback. And the guys don't remember that part. Yeah, yeah. But my problem is, I felt like, I think what he and Brad Schoenfeld have, have done is irresponsible science, quote-unquote, because it's not science. When you do a review of literature and then proclaim that that's science, you do a literature review and then at the end you state your opinion, which was basically, well, I was right. And I reviewed the literature and it showed that I was right. Yeah. That to me, that's pseudoscience. Yeah. That's not, he didn't do any studies. The reality is, Brett's never done any studies. Yeah. Well, he's, he, he, did he, he did do he's he, done he, a lot of research on himself. Yeah, okay. With EMG machines, which is what he talked about. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least most of what I've read that he's spoken about 
have been EMG, surface EMG studies that he did on himself in his garage as he was writing this, what became a 700-page e-book on glue train. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, he then, I, in it, my mind, sensationalized a lot of that via the internet. You know, which again, everybody, that's, that's the vehicle, that's the way it goes now. But it's not, I would... I would not be, it's not the route that I would have taken. Yeah, yeah. I, I personally feel that going back to what we talked about, this kind of maybe criticism uh, on a kind of maybe a false assumption, I feel that has creeped in a little bit on your judgment on him, a little bit. But I do understand where you're coming from that, you know, from the start, maybe, you know, that you feel that, and he doesn't give you credit for that. I, I, I can remember, I can remember that being, I was interning at Boyles, and this was before Brett came big, and you were saying, this guy kept following me around with this glue book, he was kind of freaking me out, and then it was like, oh, it's just Brett Contreras, like, this guy is, you know, he's kind of like that. Um, yeah, and he was there with his girlfriend, and he was, you know, standing at the side of the stage with the book, and and I didn't blow him off, I was polite, I talked to him, I took it, I told him I didn't think I'd read the, 700 page version but that I try to look through the smaller version I was as gracious to him as I could have been the problem yeah. is yeah. when I started to disagree with him he became offended yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that's why I always look at the, the disagree versus dislike thing I just think he's there are certain people in our field that are the classic that's why it's an internet coach they're the classic illustration of they made their reputation by writing on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Now, whether that is good or bad is not relevant, but the fact of the matter is that he made his reputation writing on the internet. Yeah, no, uh, like I, yeah, like I, I do, like I do agree. He definitely made his reputation writing, but he, you know, he, he did, he did have a gym, according to him. So he did train people, and uh, and and, it's, but and he closed it down. If you talk to him now again, you might want to go back and, and clarify that with. Yeah, he, he did. the gym down to do the research. Yeah, he did. No, he 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 told me that because he really wants to do the right. research. Right. So he wasn't training anybody when these idea when he was using the ideas that he espouses now. Yeah. He was not using. You know what I mean? Or he was initially experimenting with them in his gym, but he closed down a personal training facility and did these experiments in his garage or in his garage yeah. gym on himself primarily during that time period. I believe that to be the reality. Yeah. I, I could be. Yeah, I think I think I think I think I think that's right. But again, listen, I I don't uh, I think you agree. I I, I in a press list or anyone that's friends with Brett, I don't want to be, you know, coming across. And this is I I presume this is you too, Mike. We don't want to come across that we're having cheap shots at him. And he's not here to defend himself. I'm just want to get you to rebuttal to to what he was saying on on the podcast with me. So it's you know just giving you some airtime. But yeah, um, which is fine. And he's wanted to get... My thing is that I don't even want to bother. Like, I'm not going to legitimize these people that yeah. that are mad at me or that criticize me or whatever it is. I'm just, again, stating my opinion yeah, yeah. of what I think happened. I hated that core article that they did. I absolutely hated it, and I told numerous people that I hated it yeah. because I just felt like it was cherry-picked literature review yeah. saying, and it basically said at the end that, oh, maybe a little flexion is the best, which is what we've been saying since the beginning. Like, I and just did... Well, yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead, finish off. No, I was going to say, if you read through it, that isn't even really what the studies say. Yeah. You know what I mean? There were all these studies. I read the whole thing, and there really was no conclusion that agreed with what they said at the end of the study. Yeah. There was not, a, you know, if you look at, like, the legal system, you say, you know, a preponderance of the evidence. 
was there enough enough evidence based on the studies that they reviewed to give the conclusion that they gave at the end? Yeah. And it was sort of like, you know, and, and I think, again, this is the problem. You can't go into research with a bias. Mm. I believe that they did. I believe they did that entire literature review because they wanted to discredit the stability people and the guilt people. They wanted to position themselves as experts. And I look at the thing that pisses me off about that is they're arguing with a guy like McGill, at least, in, you know, in the theoretical argument. Yeah. Who has done the research in the lab. Now, we're talking about a guy, the total opposite. We're not talking about, he, Stuart McGill wasn't in the garage. You know what I mean? Stuart McGill was doing the work. Yeah, yeah. In university setting for decades. Yeah. To redefine the way that we train. And then we got two guys who kind of cherry pick some studies and then publish it. And saying, "Well, that might not be true." <laughs> no, he, 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 uh, he, 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 he did. He did spend a he spent a day or two Brett with with Stuart McGill. He did a three hour interview with him. I haven't listened to it yet. Now, like a podcast with him that they spoke about. So he uh, now. So I don't know what his take is now, or if he's changed his mind. But I do know that himself and Stuart have been in good communication and spent time with each other. So you know, I, I, I they definitely both gentlemen would definitely have an idea of of where they're coming from. So. But I, well, I, but I, I, I my, my problem yeah. is I look at that and think, how can you even at your at that level of experience insert yourself into the argument with Stuart McGill? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's like going up on Mount Rushmore and carving your own head in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right beside right beside George Washington, Jefferson, and the boys. Yeah, but you know what I mean? You know, you're talking about a guy, a guy who's been in the university setting, redefining how people do this type of work. Or, I mean, I don't know if it's twenty years. I don't know how many years he's actually been doing it, but a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, listen, and I, I suddenly I, this kind of young guy comes along with um, his, some ideas and starts poking some suspect holes and things. Yeah, like I mean, uh, I, I absolutely, I, I understand where you're coming from, and and listen, you're you're in a position to voice your opinion. At the same time, though, like I, I do like when people don't automatically take. What seems to be an authority figure at their word, you know, like you know, like, like it's just like because and don't get me wrong, McGill, I interviewed Stuart, really nice guy, research is solid, but at the same time, I still think it's okay to question. And I know you agree with that, but I think you feel that he he nearly kind of presumed and started putting things out as if like, oh, this is like a fact now that protection's all right. Like, yeah, I just think I think there's a certain level of respect and deference that are due. Yeah. Yeah, to I, people big time, who yeah, put in yeah. a lot of time. I know what you're saying, and and it, I mean, I mean, like uh, I know when I when I was finished my internship up at Boyles at NBSE, which was you know brilliant four months, and I started this blog and all, and and like you know it was, I was only 22 starting this blog, and, and I remember like you know talking to you one time in the car, and you were kind of like, you know, and looking back at it now, I'm like how like you show such patience with young coaches, like when I look back on it now, like. And because like, you were right, like you get these 20, 21, 22 somethings, and they're all like, you know, putting out this stuff as if like it's the new shit. And then you're just kind of like there, you know, you've been doing it 30 years, and you were just kind of like, you know, just kind of nearly laughing to yourself. But you'd never be, you never kind of got frustrated with it. You, you, it's as if you'd seen it again and again. You were just like, you know, these young coaches that are putting out all this stuff they, they, as if they found the holy grail, and you're kind of like, 
I've been here like three or four times throughout my coaching career so far and you know like like what would your sort of advice be to those young coaches like I've seen even the likes of Kevin and Brendan they were like me they started with their their blogs and they kind of stopped for like a four or five year period as if they kind of said to themselves listen I'm only even coaching a year I really shouldn't have a blog here I should be coached just coaching and then maybe have a blog and write a book maybe in 10 years time so like what would your advice be to those young coaches listen don't worry about blogs and DVDs just coach I mean, that would be, or one of the things that I've said to some of these people is, is just do an honest job. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Don't, don't criticize things that you really don't understand. Don't criticize people that you don't know. Yeah. Particularly because you haven't, you don't have the credibility yet to be able to do that. And you come across looking like a clown. Yeah, yeah, big time. And so I think that's the difference. I've always, because I've talked to people about this at length, like, you know, because I always have young coaches around. And one of the things that I've said is write about your experiences, write about what you're learning, write about why you're being influenced, write about why you might be changing your mind, write about what you, you know, the, the what I learned kind of things are really, really good. It's when you start to, as I said, when you start to place yourself in the conversation, I look at it, I still talk and defer my talks to guys like, Vern and Don Chu and Albert Meal and Johnny Parker, guys that taught me, I make sure, I'm 54 years old, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I still make it a point to let people understand what my influences were and where yeah. my information came from and why I am where I am today, yeah. and I look at some of these guys that are in their 20s, and it's like they, I always said, that it's like this Columbus discovered America, you're like, hey, sorry, buddy, Lee Dark, you know, a couple hundred years before you, so, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, you didn't discover anything. Yeah, or you were saying like the Russian stuff, you're like, oh look, I'm reading Verkhozhansky, and you're like, oh, I read that in the 70s. Yeah, exactly, I did, I mean, the stuff was written in the 70s. No one's changed it, and people talk about it as if they, you know, like they found the lost, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, they should have been out forever. Yeah, yeah. So and, you just... know, and all of a sudden, and then they go through this phase where they love to to, to spout all this, the scientific terms, and... And sometimes I'm always like, I just think, you know, it's like, you're like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll come around and realize that all that shit doesn't really matter very much. So, like, uh, uh, it, it still comes down to progressive resistance exercise. Yeah, The yeah. Lorman Watkins, 1951. <laughs> yeah, I know, just, yeah, exactly. It always comes back to the same sort of principles. So, what I'm going to do, Mike, is I'm just going to finish off on, on just one or two little questions here on Facebook. And just another thing. I just wanted, wanted it to get in. It just came back to my mind. I, I said it earlier on, and I, I kind of think I lost you. I think you were kind of... I don't know what Robbie's talking about there, but I think another reason... I know that there's those coaches that I, that I talked about who are really into, like, the biochemistry, you know, alactic energy systems and all this, and when they kind of heard you, like, talk about, oh, aerobic training is, is... You don't need to do it. They were all kind of like, this Mike Boyle hasn't a clue about physiology, and he's selling all these DVDs and blah, 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 blah. And then, like... You know, there was a post on Strength Coach where you were like, I don't see, when someone is sick, I don't, you know, uh, you were like, I don't do deloads because people take holidays and they get sick. And then someone was kind of like, oh, sick, like being sick isn't a deload. How does Mike Boyle think being sick is a deload? And these people kind of, they kind of just get aggressive. And my viewpoint is, why instead of getting aggressive, why don't you like educate Mike on it? Like like the way Patrick and Joel did, they didn't go, oh, Mike's an idiot. They go, oh, no, Mike, this, this is the way we understand it. And then you're kind of like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't really know that. And it's just that kind of aggressiveness that I, I just don't understand why people just can't be like, instead of saying, oh, he's an idiot, well, then why not educate him more or, like, you know, say, like, help him rather than criticize. I think the other reason is that they don't have 
the sort of balls to like make all these products whereas they kind of get envious that well at least Mike has the balls to go up and say like make a product and if he's wrong and he realizes he's wrong he, he comes out and says oh I was wrong <laughs> you know so I just wish there was more sort of humility in our field and more ap uh, empathy for why everyone is the way that they are instead of this sort of cutthroat and I think you, you described it perfectly I never really thought about that but it probably is because these insecure guys are attracted to weight training and that's kind of the personality the persona behind their coaching yeah, I don't think there's any question. And that's why I said I think you need to learn. But I, I'm still not a big aerobic system guy. I still think I, you know, if you said to me, who, who are you at your core? Yeah. I'm more of a Charlie Francis guy. Yeah. No, but Charlie did a lot of aerobic, though, Mike. He did a lot of tempo work. But, he, but a lot of tempo, that's the difference. And if you read my work, that's one thing I said. I, I am, I've always been anti-steady state aerobic training. Yeah. And you can go back to the manuals that I wrote in the 90s yeah. and I said that the aerobic system should be developed as a byproduct of anaerobic work yeah well yeah no no I do agree I, I do agree that, that I, I think I think I think you need to replace the word then aerobic with work capacity essentially then if you replace it with that like but like tempo work but, te but what I'm saying is if you look at based on when that stuff was written yeah now, I'm, I'm talking about I wrote these things initially in the early 90s yeah yeah 90, 91 and I think yeah the terminology has changed but, but that doesn't change that drastically. Whether you want to call it, you know, like that's what I said in my, I think in the newest book, I, I wrote a work capacity model, and I said I still agree with Vern Gambetta. Yeah. In terms of develop specific work capacity. Don't yeah. worry as much about the pathways as you worry about the game, because you can't control the pathways, yeah. and you can't control the game. Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes, again, people become, they're scientists, so, so I still, like I said, I've read Joel's stuff five times through, and I still, I'm like, hey, lactic power, lactic, you know, and I'm not, I say to people all the time, I'm not a physiologist, I'm a strength coach. Yeah. And so sometimes I look at it and think, which one is that one again? You know, what do we, <laughs> what does that one do? But and you know, you but, know, but like, I think, I think that's good though, because as you said, it, it makes you more realistic to the kind of, to the kind of average strength coach, you know, I, and I think that's why people are so attracted to your work, because you always you know you kind of lay bare like here's my program here's why what we do and okay there is going to be guys that be like well there's too many kind of conflicting things going on here but at least like mike puts it out and, and you're like you're like this is why we're doing it and this this is why i feel this works and then obviously you know it's working as you said with some of the case studies you give you know the hockey player obviously with power output and stuff like that but yeah go on there sorry you were talking about but but you know but it's, it's like you said it's working and the one thing is you know everybody's always like yo i'm gonna write a book like, well, freaking write one then. Yeah. You know, and, and have to live with the words. Yeah. Because, you know, there's always these people, and that's the difference. It's, I post almost every time I start to get uh, one of these big bursts of criticism, which usually coincides with me doing something that somebody wants to buy. I always end up, I post the, uh, and I posted it for my hockey girls. The, um, the man of the arena post, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Which I love. You know, it, it's if you think about the, the man in the arena, you know, he, he starts right out by saying it's not the critic that counts. Yeah. And I think that's that's the important thing to understand when you look at this. I have people who criticize me all the time, but I work for a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't I, yeah. I don't. You know what I mean? I'm not sitting, you know, in a in a lab somewhere or sitting around in my underwear writing articles. I go and I coach. Yeah. And and so for me, like I look at that man, you know. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. 
the credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. Yeah, it's great. It's a great saying. Again, it's it's to have the courage to actually go ahead and do it rather than have the fear and sit back and criticize someone for what you couldn't do. Right, and that's what I, people do that to me constantly. Yeah. Oh, you shouldn't do this. Or you shouldn't do that. I look at it and think, and maybe I'm getting a little full of myself, but I've changed the field in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I've changed the field in my lifetime by not being afraid to not do what everybody else did and by being smart enough. I always say I'm smart enough to know who's smarter than me. Yeah, yeah, true enough. And a lot of times that's all you need to be. Yeah. When you look at, you know, whether it was Mark Verstegen or Stuart McGill or Ernie Better or Don Chu or Alvin Mila, you know what I mean? And maybe even some of those guys would say, they're not, I'm not smarter than them, but they were more experienced than I was. Yeah. I can remember looking at, you know, Johnny Parker stuff and Al stuff and saying, how do they do stuff? How do they do things with their teams? And looking at guys like, like Chu and saying, okay, what are they doing from a speed and power standpoint? And, you know, all of these guys and saying and constantly taking, taking pieces and taking pieces and taking pieces. Yeah. And in some ways, you can look at it in my own analogy, making my own shit too, which yeah. is what some people would think I came up with. But, but I would look at it and think, we've come up with a system that people are using all over the world. If you look at advanced and functional training, it's in Italian. It's going to be in Hungarian. Yeah, it's, yeah. in, it's in, I think, right now, six languages. You can you can go to Japan and buy functional training support. Mm. I think you can buy it in China. Yeah. And so you look at some of these guys who are criticizing, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe maybe write one article. You get something <laughs> published somewhere that shows that you actually have the boss to put your thoughts on paper and let somebody else read them and criticize you. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly what you said there, to have the balls to put your cuz uh, you put your you to have the balls to put your thoughts on paper cuz I know myself Mike I like I've got loads of stuff on my computer written like you know I probably have about 100,000 words but there's still that kind of like you know I don't know if it's fear but it's and to be honest I don't fear criticism I actually I I I uh, really like criticism cuz pe- people have this thing that you know everything that's that's negative or criticism is bad but the, the, the simple fact of the matter is the universe is is dualistic it works by contrast you wouldn't know the daytime if there was no nighttime so therefore you can't have positives without negatives therefore negative criticism is good cuz it will make you better in the long run but like I know myself that I have, I've got like 100,000 words written that I haven't published in public yet because I'm still kind of refining my thought process but I understand that when someone puts something out there and I'm kind of like oh I don't you know I wouldn't agree with that I'm not going to lambaste the person because my mindset is oh they had the courage to lay out bare their thought process and they had the courage to realize that if it was wrong they were that, that they're going to get criticized right and the one thing you know and I know we'll probably get near the end here but if you look at what all I've done throughout my entire career is said this is what we do yeah exactly yeah I've never once said to anybody, you have to do it this way. Mm-hmm. I've simply, whether it was the first, you know, teaching Olympic lifts to athletes, you know, the part of the best-selling VHS slash DVD that I ever did. This is how we teach Olympic lifting. Yeah. And a lot of people, wow, that's a really good way to teach Olympic lifting. Yep, it is. Yeah. And when you go to function, what was functional testing? This is how we train. We spent an hour talking about functional movement speed, oh, which isn't my, my idea. But hey, this is this has had a big influence on, on why we do what we do. Yeah. This is why we lift this way. This is why we condition this way. And what people have to realize, as you talked about, is this is what we do based on our circumstances. Yeah. The yeah. number of athletes that we have to train, the number of coaches that we have, the injury concerns that we need to be conscious of. Mm. You know, there, there's all of these uh, qualifiers mm-hmm. that go into the whole process, but in 
train one person, I look at it and think, I would like to be criticized by another person who owns a large, thriving business where they train lots of people. Yeah, but I you know what happens? Most of those people who start those large, thriving businesses start to go, oh, I understand why Mike did that. Oh, I see why Mike does this. Yeah, yeah. Because when they try to scale it up, they realize that it's very, very different yeah. than it is when you're training one or two people or when you're training yourself. It's amazing how many of these people are the critics train themselves. Yeah. yeah. I had one guy, the guy who wrote me the hate mail the other day, I tried to find him on the internet. He doesn't even appear on the internet. I think if you don't appear on the internet, you don't exist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, if I can't yeah, Google yeah. search you and, and find your name, it's like, <laughs> what, what business do you have criticizing me? Yeah, true enough. True enough, uh, Mike. I'm gonna ask you some quick questions here, and and uh, I um again, I'm not in a rush, but if you're in a rush, you might just have to give some zen answers to these. One thing, one thing I will say though is, as uh, and and this is one thing I do like about or what I what I really appreciate about Mike is that if you disagree with him, again, he he takes it on board, and there's no hard feelings. But I disagree with Mike on aerobic training. <laughs> I think aerobic training is very important. Very important. Uh, with, with regards to a lactic aerobic sports, of course. But again, the disagreements probably like. Zero point like zero 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 and a half percent of a hundred percent. So, um, okay, Mike. So, just some quick questions here. Uh, Carl Valley, actually, uh, your friend Carl Valley, uh, put up a he says, Your thoughts on testing power besides jump measurements? I don't know what he really means by that, but are you testing power any other way outside of jump measurements? No, no, I mean, we're not. I think all we're really looking at is, is vertical jump, which, and again. The good thing is, and I actually, I don't know if I talked about this in the talk or not, but vertical jump still does a pretty good uh, job of measuring action reaction. Yeah. And if you look at historically, in short sprint activities, the guy with the highest vertical jump will also have the best horizontal speed. Generally, yeah. And that carries over, I would say, in, in more than 90% correlation, I would bet, if you look. And I'm looking at NFL Combine data just because that tends to be the largest body of data that we have. Yeah. But we've seen it the same way. If we look at, if we compare our 10-yard dash times with our hockey players to our vertical jumps, it's very, very rare that we find that our highest vertical jump is not our lowest 10-yard dash time. So, no, we really aren't doing much beyond that. What's your views on, on better regulation for strength and conditioning coaches? Like, you know yourself, a lot of the certs, certs out there, I know you're not a cert fan and neither am I, but a lot of them are just theory-based, like the like the CSES exam. So the question is, like, do you think there could be something better out there to regulate strength and conditioning? I know personally myself with the Irish Sport Coaching Institute, we, we want to do something where it's more like an internship, where it's more hands-on, and it's more like the Australian model, where you get rewarded by actually putting hours in the trenches. Yeah, no, that's one of the reasons. I am not a CSCS, and that's the reason I'm not. Because I am an, an, an ATC through the National Athletic Training Association. Yeah. And I had put in 1,500 hours when I was in college. Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot of hours. And we had to have 1,500 documented hours to sit for the exam. And then in our exam, the NATA exam, you have a written exam and an all-practical exam, which is done in front of three examiners. Mm. So when you become an NATA certified athletic trainer, You've passed a rigorous exam. Yeah, yeah. When you become a certified strength and conditioning specialist, you pass, in my mind, an opinionated written test. Yeah, big time. And, big time. and I, I didn't want to validate the opinionated written test by even taking it. So I've never taken it in my lifetime. So I'll be honest with you, we're actually looking at it, and this is going to drive people crazy. 
we are going to have a certified functional strength coach certification within a year. Yeah. And in that certification, there will be a written test that you have to take online before you come to the course. Mm -hmm. And then when you come after that, then you'll have to pass the practical part. Yeah. And you will have to at least, at least you've got to be able to move. Because <laughs> yeah. that's part of the problem right now. When you think some of these people, you look and think, they're certified. We have strength coaches come in, and they can't move. Yeah, yeah. They can't run. They can't jump. They can't demonstrate agility drills. Yeah. There's no requirement that you have any physical ability to move or teach to be certified, which is crazy. No, it's, it's, uh, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, and then the last two questions one was on periodization but I know what you're going to say here periodization three weeks accumulation intensification read Charles Poliquin's <laughs> pro, uh, article exactly. there you go so you know the answer to that one <laughs> uh, so for, for the for the guy who asked that I, I can link it that Charles Poliquin article and, and give you Mike's give you Mike's reasoning and then uh, uh, Shane Fitzgibbon wrote Mike how would you recommend as a strength and conditioning coach new to the business getting started and building a solid reputation in the business looking forward to hearing you speak in three weeks in Dublin so basically how to build a solid reputation I have an idea what you're going to say here but I'll let you answer well the number one thing get a good internship go learn from somebody yeah, and then absolutely. as you said get some, get some time in the trenches the, one of the problems and this is unfortunately uh, epidemic in your generation people want to start at home plate. I don't know. I, mean, I probably I need a good Irish analogy for that. But, um, but nobody wants to start in the beginning. Yeah. No one wants to have the crappy job. No one wants to work for, you know, to, to be a volunteer or to be an intern or to, to do the sort of grunt work that needs to be done to become good at anything. Because I always laugh. I say to people, people always, oh, you know, I'd love to volunteer with the Red Sox. Like, yeah, you and seven million other people. You know, to be like, where, where were you when we needed guys to work with the middle school group you know what I mean like like you came and you did an internship you look and you know I've got Liam now who's over here from my island when you look at these guys that come over and make great personal sacrifice to get the information that they need to get mm. those those are the people that are going to succeed if you're looking at it and think yeah I'd really love to do this but I don't want to make any sacrifices at all yeah then, then you're not going to be successful and, and it, it's not reading, it's not watching DVDs, it's not surfing the internet. It's getting on the floor and realizing how hard coaching is. Yeah. How yeah. hard it is to take a kid, a 12-year-old boy, who's not neurologically gifted. And, so, and, 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 socially, and, and, and socially awkward. Like, I mean, that was... Every time people always go to me, what was the internship like at Boyles? I'll always say... I always say, like, t you know, t theoretically, I'm already a nerd. You kind of know me, too, with the stuff I read. Like, I was like, theoretically... There was nothing like I didn't learn anything major that way, but I was like, "Holy shit, did I learn how to coach?" And I was like, "You'd get kids at the start of the twelve or ten weeks, and they wouldn't speak, they wouldn't make eye contact, they were so uncoordinated, they were so frustrating to coach." But I remember, like Kyle Holland said to me, "He's like, if you can make those kids good athletes, you can coach." Because it's not like, as you said, everybody's like, "Oh, I wanna, I wanna do the NFL guys with you," and it's like, uh, "No, go train the twelve-year-old there. That will make you a coach." And like by the end of the ten weeks, that kid is making eye contact. He's laughing. It's so much more than sets and reps than we already know. But yeah, definitely, you have to get coached and you have to make an internship. Absolutely. Yeah, and that to me, that's the big key, and that's what I always tell people. In our setting, you'll get a year's worth of coaching in three months. Absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. you'll coach all day, every day, and you will get that experience. Yeah. 
and you'll you'll experience the frustration. And as you said, you were unusual in that you did have a high level of theoretical knowledge. The average kid doesn't have that coming in. Yeah. The average college kid is blown away by even by what he doesn't know from a training standpoint. You were much more the exception than the rule in terms of you came in. You might have been the only guy in the room besides me who knew Simon was. So. Yeah, I mean uh, the 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 one thing I actually remember when I walked into to the facility in Winchester and I saw the workout on the board, I was like, "This is exactly, I mean, to the T." How I was training people, even the way you wrote like the plank, you used to you know you used to plank ten seconds, take a five second break, ten seconds, five second break, ten seconds, and I didn't actually know you did that. I just kind of presumed. I wonder what kind of way he does it, and I was like, "I'm just gonna write," and it was like it was just like. Because again, you you and that's why people are so attracted to you. Is that um, like attracted to your programs? Is what I mean. <laughs> you know that they're so attracted to it because you put them out there, you lay them bare, and say this is what I'm doing. And people really like the way your system is laid out and the reasoning behind it. So you know it was uh, that internship anyway it was brilliant. How's Liam getting on, Mike? Is the last question. He's doing great, actually. We're trying to see if we can figure out a way to keep him around for the summer. Oh, brilliant. He might have to go home for a little bit and then come back. But, yeah, he's done, he's done a really, really good job. What a, but And it's just a different workout. He walks back and forth to the gym every day. Yeah. How to find a friggin' American kid that will walk back and forth to work. Well, you know what? It was funny because on the... the when, when, when he um, he got in contact with me, you know, about getting him in, and, uh, like, he literally said to me on the phone, he goes, Robbie... I'll work from morning to night, and I said, Liam, you'll get an internship at Boyles if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, so that's and he's been—he's been awesome. He's learned to skate because he wants to learn about hockey. So he's been—he walks to the rink with his skates and he skates. And Marco's been taking him skating, and yeah, he's really—he's done a great job. That's absolutely brilliant, Mike. Uh, thanks a million. That's over an hour, almost an hour and ten minutes, and your time is is as precious as anyone's. And listen, I just want to put it out there. Um, I thought my phone was ringing there put it out there uh, I just want to publicly say thank you for everything you've done for me uh, without question you're one of the biggest influences not only on me as a coach but as a person and I know it's hard for people who don't know you and particularly I want to say this to the people who always criticise Mike forget the coach and forget everything else as a human being Mike Boyle is one of the best human beings I've ever met and I think we should always keep that in mind when we're starting to criticise. You know, it's okay to disagree, but there's no need to dislike. And Mike, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything you've done for me. No, well, I appreciate it. I'm, uh, you guys, the kids like you, is what I'm most proud of. To be perfectly honest, I'm always, as I watch guys grow up in the field, and I look at what you're doing. That's why I said, the, you know, the ability to come out. The only reason I'm coming out is because of you. But yeah, uh, yeah. this isn't, a, and people should know it's not. A, it's not a money maker. I'm not splitting the profits with you. And that's where people are always going to have 200 people going to make so much money. Just so people understand, this is Irish Sports Coaches Association, and they're paying our expenses to get over there, and it's expensive, obviously. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm doing this because I really believe in you and in what you're trying to do over there. Yeah. And I hope I hope people get a, you know grasp that and understand that this is something that that I'm doing because it's good for the field. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I get spent out drinks and beers and I'll have a couple days in Ireland and I'll you know, get to hang out with Bob and Diane and we'll have a great old time yeah. but it, I could do that in Spain and Portugal and a whole bunch of different countries so yeah. it's uh, it's because of what you guys are trying to do over there in Ireland that that's what really makes this thing enjoyable and worth doing yeah, yeah. it's it's the Irish Sport Coaches Institute Mike remember that Institute I keep saying I'm sorry I already screwed that up a couple times on video it's alright Sport Coaches Institute I promise I'll get it right when uh 
Yeah, when I get my slides up. Well, it's uh, I'm gonna you, my, you're. I'm gonna go look at my slide right now. We we we, we yeah. have uh, we we have uh, we have like your 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 tracksuit. No, we bought you a tracksuit, so it, it'll be on your top. So if you get, you just have to you, you know you just have to look down a few degrees out, and you'll see it. <laughs> okay, so guys, listen. Right. That, that we're gonna wrap up here. I mean, an hour and eleven minutes with 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 the the man, the myth, the legend, and you know, pre- appreciate his time so much. So for everyone listening, guys, take care, be well, and stay strong. <laughs>